Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Los. I am designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN, LD at Large. I am here today with my very new friend, Justin Casey, production designer at Helm Projects. Thank you so much for taking the time, buddy. Thanks, man. It's great to uh, finally put a face with a name, see lots of your articles in PLSN and whatnot. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're enjoying and reading. And vice versa, this is a, a genuine moment where you and I have never actually met. We've seen each other back and forth on social media several times before, but we've never actually met. And this is the perfect time for uh, people to start making new relationships and reaching out to the people that I just haven't fully been on my radar. I've always wanted to kind of know more about you and see what you're all about. So today's, today's the day, Justin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've always found intriguing is that some of your clients are really interesting human beings, including Snoop Dogg and Bass Nectar. There's got to be some very interesting stories from working with Snoop Dogg for as long as you have. That actually is a gig that I never thought I would have. It kind of got put into my lap uh, last year as like, hey, we just need some help. And if you're free and then right before the end of the year, they kind of contacted me and said, OK, we're looking to bring a guy on full time and we to help us reprogram and time code our show. But it's been great. I mean, it's a crazy thing to walk into arena and pe tell people you're with Snoop Dogg. They like it's the reactions is pretty hilarious. So, you know, it's exactly what you would think it is. A, a great hang. The camp is really pro, like everybody's super serious, but at the same time, they're all relaxed and want to have fun and make the best show they possibly can. You're probably working for him at a great time. I wouldn't imagine he was always as business oriented as he is now. No, he seems to be very like has his hands in lots of different things now, um, which has made him super popular even more than he has been in the uh, the last few years. Um, so it's been great because, you know, we're getting to play things like the Super Bowl Music Festival and we're getting to play these sold out amphitheaters that um, he would normally be in like clubs. Um, he's now able to do like big sheds and amphitheater style shows. I always thought that the partnership between him and Martha Stewart was just television oh, yeah. gold. Oh yeah, super funny. Those, uh, you know, having a cooking show with with those two are great, and to see them like uh, on other things like comedy roast together, like it's it's a great like relationship and super funny. Uh, haven't had a chance to meet her, and I haven't seen her at shows, but I'm sure that eventually that'll happen. How often do you interact with Snoop? 
You know, not too much. Uh, when I first came to the team, he like introduced himself. You know, he just said, you know, uh, I have this thing. I want to meet all my guys and I want to hang out. And he kind of comes in, does the show and then kind of like hangs out. They do a bunch of meet and greets. So I'm the guy I typically try to stay out of the way. They He has his own dressing room we have ours i i just try to stay out of the way and let him do his thing you know when i'm needed somebody will grab me that's great advice to kind of stay out of the way there's a lot of people that uh, kind of fall into the starstruck trap oh yeah it's that's a great trap to avoid at all cost yeah, that was early on in my career. That was one thing that someone told me. You you can't be starstruck in this industry. You have to make sure that, you know, you're giving everyone the level of respect. They're all humans like all of us. There's no difference between those guys and us. And then, you know, make sure that you're a great hang because those two qualities in you are going to make you more valuable to the camp um, besides your work, work ethic and, and all the things that come with that. Yeah, I always get frustrated when people want to meet my clients. That's my boss. I'm not going to toss my boss <laughs> to the wolves. Well, and you really just don't know sometimes, I mean, how people are going to react, what's going to happen. You know, I, I read a bunch of people or talk about, you know, like the rules to being backstage or getting a backstage pass. And, you know, you just don't know until those people are in those situations and you don't want it to be the person that you brought that has a weird interaction because it can ruin it for you and anyone you want to bring. Oh, man. One awkward interaction from one of your guests is just... Oh, yeah, it's painful. Poison. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something as as people from the outside of the industry uh, sometimes don't understand that it's like there has to be this level of respect there and that they don't want to be treated like um, a star. They just want to be treated like a human being. And and that's a big thing um, and not causing an awkward situation. Yep. So it sounds like this story of how you came to be a part of the Snoop Camp is a fairly familiar story to you. It sounds like you've got your hands in a little bit of everything in the industry. Yeah, like I mean, up the long path. I did. I I basically started out as like throwing house parties and like <laughs> hit hit up a friend and was like, "Hey, man, you have some lights? Like, I want to put some like club lights in my house." And he was like, "Yeah." And he brought his, you know, brought a, a rig over with some Design Spot two fifties, and we like hooked it up. And then I spent the next year basically like working for him, just learning how lights work and software, and then and then got into like being a stagehand at Bonnaroo. That was like my first real gig. And from there, just learned and absorbed everything I possibly could. And then taking advantage of all the opportunities that I get to meet people and networking. When I'm in the right place at the right time, I'm prepared for what what is needed. So that, you know, that's been a real key to my success. I love a good challenge. And so there's not a whole lot of gigs that I will like say no to as long as I have the time and it, it's in within my skill set. Uh, sounds like you're still young enough to just be able to say yes to everything that can possibly <laughs> fit into your schedule. You know, this last year, I've actually like had to prepare myself to like, 
turned down some gigs because with being with Bass Nectar, like it's a full-time schedule and then adding Snoop Dogg on top. There's just not a whole lot of room for doing extra stuff and still living at home and having a family and, and doing those things. So that's something that uh, I'm having to like teach myself, like saying, saying no or trying to like push the conversation into can I design it and send you know one of my ops from my company out and you know try to still be included in that way but not having to actually like tour the whole time oh that's a great problem to have to be oh, yeah. too busy yeah congratulations yeah. on having those problems <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I mean it's a great thing so you know hopefully that'll it'll get back to that once uh all this COVID-19 stuff is over with so yeah, I, yeah, we could talk about that for for far too long, but I've got so many other questions. I'm sure that I'm sure that you're having your own issues going on with the COVID nineteen situation right now. But uh, man, you have such a long list of things that you've been working on. It sounds like you you're programming lasers, you're production designing, you're monitor engineering, production managing, system teching. How do you yeah, how do you I, decide? Who, who gets your time? I, I came up as, you know, when I first got into it, I was did the stagehand thing. I learned audio from a lot of my friends. I had several friends that were audio guys who, you know, kind of taught me how to get around an audio console, how to hang speakers, taught me a lot of that stuff. So that was early on. I ended up working for a production house as like their shop guy and their production manager and realized that all my friends were audio guys and there were no gigs. So I realized real quickly there were no lighting guys. So I immediately like kind of picked that up and was like, I have experience with this. I spent, you know, the last year with my buddy, like just doing little gigs around town in clubs and small festivals. And so that was something that um, led me to that. I mean, now my focus is a lot more like lighting production designer um, aspect, but knowing, you know, how PAs hang and knowing um, the size of them and the restrictions and where to hang them in a rig has helped me further my design and being able to draw, draw that stuff in um, and do all my vector works, drawings and whatnot. So I, it's it's really weird to me that you can move through all these courses, you know, all these different skills and you you can learn lots of things from them, but maybe something doesn't stick out to you as much as the other ones until you just have that aha moment. And with lighting, I just had that aha moment. Like I, I felt it was needed that I I should learn all these other things like video and switchers and, and all of that. I feel like it made me more well-rounded for when the opportunity came to take on a gig like a corporate event, you know, hey, we need this audio guy to run these couple of microphones at this corporate event or, you know, the festival and, uh, you know, the audio guy got injured and I had to step in just to like help them get it going for a little while. So I paid attention to some other people that told me you should really learn everything possible that you can. It is a huge decision that you'll probably have to make in the next few years if you want to continue doing a little bit of everything or if you're going to completely focus on one thing. And it's a really tough decision because if you can do everything, you're going to be constantly employed. Oh, yeah. If you really become specialized at one thing, you're going to work less but make more. 
That's really where I've been at in the last couple of years is like focus on lighting so that I can make more, I can master that craft um, so that I can have more free time and don't have to hustle more gigs. Um, and I can just kind of keep focusing on the one uh, aspect. So, I mean, it's been several years. My company, we do like little corporate events. We do some music festival stuff. We have some audio and some video gear. So it's helpful for me to go out to those gigs with my guys and teach them how to use the gear and teach them how to, you know, run an audio desk and, and help when needed on those things as well. It sounds like uh, festival design seems to be your current passion. Yeah. I mean, it's really huge. Uh, there's two, two sides of it that I'm heavily involved in and one being the site lighting, the art side of it. And then the other one being the stage side Um, for a long time when I was breaking into, you know, being a, a designer, the big thing was, okay, well we have this music festival um, that we need a front of house guy at and do you want to like design it? And so that was something for me that I really enjoyed because I like helping people. I like to be the guy there. I also am like very thorough. So having a file that was ready to like PSR with groups made and, you know, a 3D file made for it it was really helpful to me and and, um, really helpful to other people. And I had some great interactions from that. Um, those festival gigs led me into every gig that I currently have, um, where I worked with these people and they just saw the level of organization that I had and passion and, uh, personality. And it really helped me get these gigs when the opportunity was there, I was able to get them. The site lighting part of it is super cool because it's a very set it up you know, program it before it's there. And then once it's done and the doors are open, you kind of walk away from it besides some, you know, maintenancing. I think the biggest project that I have in that concept is Huluween, which is a, a festival in Florida where we have a um, massive lake um, that is got a bunch of BMFLs around it and lasers and water projection. And that is a, uh, is a huge thing for that festival. It really makes that festival. Um, so it was super cool to be involved in the programming side of that and, you know, determining what fixtures to use and where to put them and what's going to look best. You know, that opened up a lot of doors for me and got a lot of press off of just that one gig as well. Was it mostly for the site lighting or was it for the lasers? It was a little bit of both. So I've like kind of rolled into the laser thing. The side lighting thing has been a big thing with some of my clients that know me because I know what they're looking for and I know what, you know, what people at festivals are looking for. And that's been able to, <laughs> to help direct that. Oh, this is like super cool and immersive and, and it, different. It's been able to provide a vibe, but at the same time, like there are certain things that I do with lasers now that are like really recognizable uh, fans and, and patrons see this and they immediately can recognize that, like that's something I've been involved in. And so uh, that's been super cool to do as well. Are you a concert goer as well? I am. I re- I really ruined it for myself. I think like a lot of people, <laughs> I, I go to shows and I'm, I can't help but look at the production. You know, sometimes I'm just blown away. I mean, I was just listening to your, 
your podcast with Dan and I just recently worked with him at a festival with yeah, Foo Fighters. No, Foo Fighters. Yeah. And I was blown away by it. I was like, this is an insane, like it was greatly programmed. It looked cool. And that was the first time in like four or five years that I was like super impressed with something like, Oh, cool. This is awesome. Younger. I was definitely the guy I went to shows a lot with my friends. I, you know, that's kind of how I got in to this and throwing house parties was we would just go to shows and we wanted to create that same experience back then. I just didn't know that people did this for a living. I had, I had no clue until like 15 years ago that this was, there was a guy running lights. I mean, seeing the first guy running lights was at a new year's show at the tabernacle with sound tribe, this uh, kind of electronic jam band. And to see the guy like bouncing around the console and pressing buttons and like doing it live. I was like, Holy crap. Like I literally sat for the next three nights and just watched this guy. I was like, this is something that is like, never, never clicked to me that there was like a job like this. (laughs) Now you are one. Yeah. Yeah. Now I am. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like the luckiest dude ever. I'm like, I I'm living a dream that is, uh, so amazing and something that really catches my attention and lets me have like a creative outlet as well. What are the most common concerts that you go to? Um, in Tennessee, a lot of times it's, it's friends, like friends will be touring through rock, uh, EDM stuff. They'll come through at a local venue. If I'm home, I'm there. I probably haven't been to a local show that like I've actually wanted to go to in probably five or six years. Wow. Um, yeah. Most of the shows I see are like, I'm there at the festival and this mm-hmm. band's on my bucket list and I knock it out while I'm there. I mean, <laughs> I, I hit, I hit so many festivals last year. I hit like all the major ones. And I was like, Coachella was a big one on my bucket list and got to see lots of people that I would normally want to see. So that's been kind of nice is like you get to catch some of those shows that you normally would either be too busy to catch or, you know, don't have the time to. What's it like going from a giant festival to a corporate event where everything's just go, go, go (laughs) to everything is just slow as molasses? It's it's interesting. I make that comparison a lot because sometimes I'll go from like Coachella to like a little, you know, cooking show corporate event where I'm like dealing with some switcher stuff and there's a little bit of wash light. Um it's it's definitely a different mentality. There's like a cleaner cut, you know, more like professional, you know, not that the touring industry is not professional, but it's it, you know, you're can be a little rough around the edges to where the corporate stuff you have to kind of be on it but it corporate is a lot easier in my opinion because there's not this pressure of you know there's five lds trying to program overnight or you know you don't have you're not trying to like set up your front of house while there's a show going on Mm -hmm. so it's just a it's a different environment do you do do a lot of touring as well i don't do that much touring so you know i did do some uh 
big touring when I first started out with like Jason Isbell and Mo and a, a few acts like that. I actually get motion sickness really bad. So sleeping on a bus is actually like a very painful situation for me. I'm also like kind of an introvert person where I have to have my own space and mm. being on a on a bus for several weeks and then sharing a hotel room. It was like, man, I'm ready to like look for the gig where I don't. Luckily, in the EDM world, uh, in the level that I do, we don't tour that often, which is right. which is a nice thing. Um, same with Snoop; he's not touring like a ton, so I can usually do like two to three weeks before I I start to have issues. I have to take like Dramamine every night, and so that like eventually after a couple of weeks, that really gets to my stomach. That's taxing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I imagine that kind of leads you towards the corporate events a little bit more. Even it does more, even though they're they don't fulfill your artistic needs quite the it, same it does the the pay is the biggest thing about the corporate events <laughs> yes, the, yes it is. yeah it's the most enticing thing um I, I i mean honestly that's why i did so many like festival ld gigs for a long time because that was something where i could go post up for a week and a half and i could you know i got a hotel room and i didn't have to travel and so that to me was like a very beneficial thing and those are those are the kind of gigs i look for to i have a lot of people that reach out to me that want to do like a three month tour and unfortunately if i wasn't as busy i may have to take those gigs but i'm kind of a little choosy right now about what i take because of the situation that i'm in and it's one of those things where I try to avoid the big tours if I can. Not that I don't want to do them. It's just if there's other opportunities, I would definitely look forward to those. Sounds like you're in a really good place to just kind of design them and send somebody out. Sounds like you're getting pretty close yeah. to that level. Or are you? Yeah, no, we're we're getting there. I mean, it's it's happening more and more. So my company is growing pretty largely. We have a lot of guys who work for me that are getting out on the road with artists. And as we're able to put out renderings and visualizers and we're getting to show off our work, we're having more people reach out and connecting with management and then introducing myself and then introducing my team as well and letting them know that like we work as a team like it's not just this one person because if I get sick or have something happen to me I need somebody to support me so that's kind of the reason for having a team and so what I found success in is going to the first couple of shows making sure the design and the programming is off the ground and then making sure that the camp is good with the guy that we put in the place and and making sure that he vibes with the camp so that that's been something for us that we've you know, started to focus on more is trying to put out designs and put out operators with that or programmers with that design as well. Right on. When it comes to the corporate event, do you and your guys clean up pretty well? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wear, I wear a shirt and tie suit jacket. If I have to, I trim my beard. This is my quarantine beard. It's, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty long. I've actually yeah. decided that I'm not going to shave it until after I finally get a gig. So I'm going to see how long I can get it to grow. That out. is impressive. Yeah, uh, so anybody listening who can't see it, it is a very <laughs> quarantine beard. 
Yeah. So that's something that, um, you know, I, I, I clean up very well. I mean, I definitely change my, um, demeanor a little bit. I'm a little bit more cautious about what I say and, and, and how I'm acting and what my clients see, because to me in the corporate world, that's the biggest advantage, um, to everyone else. All the gear is the same. It's just about the people and that, and that, you know, I'm not very strict on a dress code, but I try to make sure that my guys have nice button up shirts that we're all dressed appropriately like you know it just looks more professional and when those people mm-hmm. are paying the amount of money they do it, it, you know they kind of require that um uh, to anybody who's listening justin just touched on a, a major topic of concern is that what i call my chameleon skills you need to be able to go from rock and roll to corporate to edm and you don't have to change who you are but you do have to show that you belong there yeah, yeah. You can't show up to a, a corporate event with tattoos all over the place and like neck tattoos up out to <laughs> up your ears and you know, you can't and Yeah. I mean uh, I found that like you wear shorts at festivals when you're the L D you have shirts. I've got you know, I got a lot of funny shirts that I wear just as like to express my personality at festivals and concerts. And, you know, I act a little different. I'm, you know, I'm just a little bit more outspoken and goofy and make jokes and sometimes inappropriately. And so, but at, at corporate events, I'm very aware of who's around me and who's talking and, you know, who could be listening to my conversation or who is, you know, who if somebody's around that I don't know who they are, you know, they could very well be the client or be the um you know the person making the decisions on things so you just have to be pretty aware of that you got to be aware of that in corporate and in and in festivals yeah festivals you're with so many people with so many different ego characteristics that are going to show up and they're all going to think that everything's supposed to be the way they want it to be but you're like no i i did it this way because the headlining ld wants this and you're I hate to be rude, but you're not the headlining LDs. You kind of have to really watch your your politics there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something I've learned as being like a festival LD and then also being a touring LD is like when to when to push back on things, when to, you know, say make compromises, when to, you know, tell the guy like, look, man, I get it. You're, you know, in a situation, but it, it's really the headliner's choice in what we do here. And so, unfor- I, you know, I've been in that position where the vendor has changed things for the headliner and didn't update anybody. And now the touring guys come in, he's super upset and, you know, he's yelling at me and I'm like, I, I, you know, if I have to be the bad guy, but like, it's really not my decision. And I don't think it really matters. Like, you know what you wanted because you're not the headliner. And sometimes you have to kind of be that nice asshole guy to them. Um, That's a great term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, 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 it doesn't help the situation to continue to escalate or if they're upset about something jumping on their level. Um, it's just one of those things where you just got to like uh, maintain your confidence and, and just tell them like, this is why it is this way. And if they're yeah. still unhappy, like, they're just going to have to live with those, um, that situation. Yeah. Basically with a smile, you have to say, you're not the big dog. I'm not going to give you what you want. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know, I think no for disrespect. a lot of, 
just- yeah, exactly. It's it's just how it is. Like everyone's in that situation. I've been in that situation with working with headliners, and then you know I've been in that situation being the the support act or being the you know the second act out of eight that day. Like it's just kind of what it is, and and it should be something that's known when you walk into it. It's like this is this is how it is. So you just have to accept it and do the best that you can. I would imagine you're allowing that to influence your festival designs. Now you're really aware of what the the headlining LD is going to want and what the B and C bands are going to want. So you can kind of accommodate as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, that was something that um, early on, it took me a little while because when I first started doing festival designs, I wanted to like make it super unique and make it where it was like, I want this to stand out <laughs> and then realize it's not my show. Like I may not even run and act at night because, you know, we have all these guys. And so that really made me think, okay, well, I need to simplify this because as I got on the road and got to festivals, I would be in those situations. And it was like, man, this is like a really hard day because there's all these weird trusses. They're hung at weird angles. I've got to spend all this time trying to make a straight focus because all the lights are kind of off a little bit. And so that to me was like a big thing. Um, And then I saw your article several years ago and I was like, (laughs) all right, now someone actually is like writing about this. Like, this is great. Um, You know, so for me, that was one thing that I like, you know, focused on was, you know, how can I make it so that when the guy comes in, he has the easiest day possible. Um, And that was, you know, making sure that my 3D file matches the real rig, making sure that it's as close as possible, making sure my paperwork is as clean as possible, um, providing a PSR file, you know, uh, making sure that my advance is very thorough. I'm very involved in the advancing side um, with the artist and the LDs because I just want to know all the information to make that day smoother for them. Um, you know, the one conversation that I, I have a lot and I think you expressed it in your thing was the fixture modes. And I heard mm-hmm. you in court talking about that it and comes like up all the time. Oh, I bet. Cause I'm absolutely high fixtures always like give me everything that the fixture can do. And then I'll deal with it on my side. Um, and I think nowadays it's getting easier with previs. Okay. I can totally understand that um, when, you know, hogs and grand amaze and pearls. And, you know, you had all these consoles where you had to have a rig in front of you. So coming in the day before was like a thing. Now, some fixtures have easier ways to clone. A lot of times I'll make macros that are some selection macros and I just give them to the LD and say, these select all these instances. If you grab all these and then clone them at this, it will deal with everything for you. Or, Hey, by the way, you have BIs, but if you clone this one master instance, it will now uh, clone all your colors and don't mess with the other instances. So there's definitely some tricks around it. Um, for me, as like a guy that has some time, usually at least a few days before the, the gig, I try to focus on making that like pretty eye candy while still getting everything that I can, like lighting the money and focusing um, okay. And so I want that advantage. Like I want X bars to be, you know, in every pixel. I want BIs to be in every pixel. Like let me manage it on my file side. Um, but I totally get the other side as well okay. as, as that's something I've been, been a part of. 
All right. Well, the, if I ever have to do a, a revision of that article, I will put a little asterisk <laughs> in there and I'll say, I want everything in standard mode, unless you're Justin Casey <laughs> and you know what the hell you're talking about and you know what you're doing and you can help me with some macros. Yeah. That's, it'll, make, it'll I, make the article a little bit longer, but. I, I, you know, I get into this conversation on the internet a lot with guys because I'm like, why do you, why don't you want this? So like, it's just too hard. I'm like, I understand like, but a lot of these guys that are coming in at big levels of shows should have advanced macros to build, like grab selection orders for them, or at least should know how to deal with those very quickly. I mean, I, I feel like a 3d file that is made in MA and then made into a layout view. So the guy is coming in and you can just merge a layout view and boom, there's all your stuff in its order the way it should be. That stuff is like super helpful to other LDs. And I feel like the festival LDs, a lot of them don't take advantage of that. I mean, I played a lot of festivals where there wasn't even the 3d file. And I'm like, how did you build this? So like VectorWorks, I'm like, can you build a 3d file? They're like, no, I'm like, I need the VectorWorks file. And they're like, we don't want to send it. I'm like, look, I'm going to build a 3d file in like 10 minutes. I'll share it with you, but you got to share it with me first. Like, you know, so it's one of those things where enough prep beforehand on the festival LD side can really go a long way for the touring guys. Wow. You're so very kind. You're doing (laughs) (laughs) one free 3d file with every, with every headlining act from just, yeah. I mean, to, to me, that's like a, a a game changer. I started on Ava lights and I, the shop I worked at, I would just, the way I learned lights and, and how to deal with them in program consoles. I just stayed after work and set up rigs in our shop and like played with them. Um, you know, that was the only way to see it. And then grinning May two came out and it was like, cool, this has a visualizer, like, you know, and so that really changed it for me because at that point I was able to do stuff in a 3D environment and not have to take the time or, or you know, take the gear out of inventory to to build this rig that I wanted. I could really, you know, build it to however my creativity would lead me. Huh. After this podcast, I'm going to send you a plot that I had drawn up. Basically, it's what I believe to be the perfect festival rig Obviously, it's, it has only Ayrton fixtures, but nice. it's what I believe to be the perfect festival rig that anybody could use over and over and over again, and people wouldn't know that it's the same rig. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, uh, you know, the EDM stuff for my shows, my files are built off of the basic groups, wash beams, profiles, uh, mm-hmm. strobes, and blinders. Like those five elements, uh, if you have those in every rig, I'm usually happy. If you have a bunch of other stuff, great. But usually if you have those five fixture groups, like that's a perfect combination for what I need. Um, I would love to see that. Though. That okay. would be great. So here's, here's the elements that I think of. I, I think of lots of straight sticks. I like to think of equal amounts of, I like spot wash beam, spot wash beam. Uh, I like strobes to be on the front of the truss and i want them to have a tilt yeah because i get half the lds want to aim the strobes out of the audience and half of them want to aim them straight down at the band oh yeah uh, i want a front truss with ip65 lights <laughs> i don't want to have to take that down. i don't want to fill it with leakos oh, yeah. i want to put bags up up there yeah like, i don't yeah. want to put bags up i want ip65 
obviously I put Perseos on there because I think they're the best yeah. front light IP65 fixture. I want I want side lights. Uh I want them I want those to be wash spot, wash spot. Uh I want some beams upstage on the floor. And I want I don't want really long sticks of truss. I want short lengths. I want lots of more motors so that you can change from day to day. Yeah. That makes sense. And those are yeah, kind of my those are my key elements there. There's a few other things I'll, when I send it to you, you can take a look at it, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, uh, my biggest thing is leaving the floor pretty clean for yeah. an artist to bring their own floor package. Um, and of course that all just depends on who's playing and what they're bringing. I mean, I've definitely had shows that I've taken my whole rig down to put another LD's rig up and then taking it back down and put mine back up the next day. So yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it happens all the time now. It's- oh, it, it does. And I get it. Like those guys have the show that they're trying to present and they want it to be like, they want it to be the, the, you know, they don't want to sacrifice the show. And so I, I totally understand it um, and and why they do it. Uh, For festivals, I also want so many audience blinders. I want them to go past, (laughs) I want to go past the stage. If there's iMag on either side, I want, I want, I I want blinders above those and I want them all to be led blinders. Now I don't even want, I don't even want anything uh incandescent anymore i'm i'm waiting for Ayrton to come out with a fixture like that uh that in the in the i was doing the video the bus the board and buster mm-hmm. and i was like man that's the one thing that they don't have like no we don't have it yet. yeah that intel the intellipix i used is basically that um because i was like all right that's kind of cool it works um but i'm very much like you got to have a bunch of audience lights because it, the saddest thing is when the guy on stage or the people on stage are like, you know, I want to see the crowd. And then you turn them up and it's like, it's not very bright. And you're like, Oh man, you can only see like the first 40 feet of it. So. Yeah, that's such a tough one. And I'll, <laughs> I'll send an email shortly after this because it's really hard because for audience blinders, I never want to get away from the color that incandescent, that warm color yeah. Because people like that, it's 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 soothing to their eyes. Yeah. But I also want to be able to throw a red or a Congo in there and light. I want to be able to light the audience in blue. But when I go to the what I like to call the the high white, which is the that lavendery white yeah. color that LED, uh, LED lights. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want that ever. No. Nah. In my audience, in my audience blinders. So you yeah. almost kind of need a mixture. Like you need some of the stuff. Some of the some of the LED fixtures out there that are the LED blinders are really gorgeous. They re, they even mimic the red shift and everything. Yeah, that's and that's been great in technology to see that uh, be a possibility. Plus, now you don't need you know all these dimming racks and you don't have to worry about okay, well the show's over, I'm going to leave these on, and then it's like oh well the cable's super hot and you're you know the bulbs are going out or burning out in them or, you know, you, you started the, the festival, you know, in the beginning of the day and now it's the, the headliner and you have, you know, three bulbs out of, you know, 10 fixtures that are out and you're like, Oh man, this yeah. is, it looks so like, uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing I, I meant. I forgot to mention with my, what I envision as my perfect festival is I don't even want to lamp on. I don't want yeah. lamp off. I want LED everything. 
I want it to be on, I want to be able to run it off a generator, a single generator that's working at 10% capacity. No, I don't even want an, uh, an arc source in the, in the rig. I, yeah. I've how, many pushing... times is the, how many times has the festival LD just walk away and you're like, hey, dude, you left the whole <laughs> rig on and now I got to. I, uh, I had that issue at Lollapalooza. I burned some holes in a deck recently. Last year I was at the Perry stage and I was doing a focus at night and someone, I had all the lights pointed down. We had this upstage row of lights that was like, four feet from the ground um and i couldn't see it because there was a bunch of riser stuff in the way and i had them on and then somebody somewhere unplugged something to like move something around and it never got plugged back in and the next i didn't see it and um they turned the rig off the next day i got a text from the stage manager and it was a picture of like burn burn hole marks all the way down the stage and i was like oh man this is terrible like you know so it was like oh that was that was like a first i'd never like had anything like that i just didn't realize that they were on when they came unplugged and um they had sat there for like 20 or 30 minutes before they killed the rig and it was just like oh leds wouldn't have done that that's pricey that's pricey yeah, I'm I'm big on the the waterproof stuff right now. That's like my big thing. Like, I the worst thing ever is to walk into a festival that doesn't have any kind of rain covers, and you mm-hmm. have bags hanging all on the downstage edge, and it's like it looks terrible. And I'm like, we're in an industry now where lights, waterproof fixtures are becoming super popular, and it's the new kick. And yeah. Give I will sacrifice a quality or sacrifice a different fixture um, manufacturer to get a fixture that's waterproof that if it sprinkles, the show's not off or I don't lose my downstage wash completely. Yep. Like, yep. And, and that's been a big thing for me. And I've been, you know, a lot of vendors that I use, I pushed pretty hard because I'm like, we're doing, you know, 10 festivals a year with just this one company and one vendor in addition to the other, you know, 10 to 20 that I do. And it's like, why can't you have LEDs? Like, or uh, why can't you have waterproof fixtures? Because that's something to me that is the best investment you can have. Like your rate of failure due to weather is like extremely low. Um, You know, where if uh, it downpours for 10 minutes and then the headliner goes on, well, half the rig got wet. So we don't want to turn it on because we don't want to blow up the fixtures or, Mm -hmm. you know, I did a lot of cruise ship gigs, um, like festival uh, at sea kind of gigs for a long time. And that was a big thing for me is when I started getting those gigs, they didn't have waterproof fixtures. And I kind of forced our vendors to buy waterproof fixtures because it was like, sometimes we can't have skins on the roofs that we put up. And it was like, you got to have a rig that can, if you get 10 minutes of rain pulling out of port, we got to be able to turn it on at the headliner. Like, you know, and we, it took blowing out like 20 Vipers one day for the, for the promoter and for the vendor to realize that like, this was the way it needed to go. And that I wasn't just like complaining about it because I, you know, I was trying to be a diva. I was like, this is, you know, once they saw a $20,000 bill to like fix all the fixtures, they broke because they forced me to have my text turn them back on after it downpoured for like 10 minutes and I warned them and they were like, you got to turn them on. And then maybe 30 minutes later, lights are just popping off. Like, 
you know, boards of frying. You literally can just watch the bulbs blowing out in them. And I'm like, I tried to tell you guys, like, this is not the not the way to be doing it. So that's an expensive lesson. Yeah, it's very expensive. So uh, we're seeing more of that now, and every lighting manufacturer is in that kick right now, which is great. Um, lots of options for downstage wash and um, you know profile washes and spots. So um, that's something that uh, I think we'll just continue to see because you can still use those fixtures in other places. Yeah. Uh, my only qualm with it is the weight. Usually those fixtures yeah. tend to weigh a lot more. So in buildings or in things where you have weight restrictions, that can become an issue. But um, honestly, the advantage of having 10 lights versus, you know, 16 lights of waterproof, it to me is more reliable. Just the idea of one of those lamps going out and then having in the middle of a festival, having to send, two guys out in a boom lift to yeah. the mud <laughs> to yeah, go exactly. up there. It's, it's time consuming and it's expensive. It's yeah, it definitely is. Or sending guys up in the trust to hoist lights up. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things or, you know, the vendor only sent you two spares because they're strapped on inventory. And so you have to like make some decisions once you have issues like that. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm glad to see that the waterproofing is something that's becoming more of a standard with lights now. Yeah. When this is, uh, when this is done, I'll send you some info on the new, uh, Ayrton Domino, which is uh, yeah, we, we think is going to be the the best front of house fixture <laughs> for uh, for all your all of your future festivals. Yeah, perfect. I'd love to see that one. Um, working out at front of house, you've seen all sorts of different ways to set up data management as well. Is there any some any is there any I'm... system that you're preferring these days? Um, so I, you know, I'm on the grand MA system. Um, I, I have a couple of big points. I made one at LDI with, I went out to dinner with court and some of the, um, some of the ACT guys and some vendors and, you know, there's, I, I went to school for like networking. So I'm, I'm very computer savvy guy. Um, my biggest thing about, uh, you know, my biggest pet peeve is at least as being a headliner going into a festival is data management between mm-hmm. the system. Um, I see a lot of festivals using MPUs as nodes backstage, and it's a big no-no. It causes lots of issues. Um, I've experienced lots of of issues with it, Um, you know, or... IP addresses being all crazy because someone just doesn't understand why they should be numbered the way they are. Um, and having like a standardized system of knowing that your nodes are in these orders, your ArtNet or streaming ACN nodes. Um, to me, that has been a big thing in my life with base nectar MPUs have been the bane of my existence uh, a lot because I walk into a festival and they have, MPUs at backstage. Well, my file is so big that it it just has a lot of stuff in it that it is having to send this across the snake and re-update the MPU all the time. Or 
you have this massive base. It's literally shaking everything and the network jack and the MPU is bad and it's causing it to come off a session and then trying to load the session back up and then causing my console to lock. Well, I can't just kick the MPU out because it's controlling the rig because they have it patched into the back of it. So that's been a huge pet peeve. I like brought it up to ACT at, uh, LDI I was like, I wish they would get rid of all the ports on the back of the MPU. It should really be at front of house right next to the console. It's processing. It's not made to be a node. Like I get that they made the, you know, for it to be, oh, well, they have a copper snake. So we're going to let them run it from front of house. But the problem is, is that so many vendors are using them the wrong way. Um, and for me, that's a big thing. You know, I deal with a lot of, um, a lot of data and communication. I use the MIDI features on my MA to control a lot of cues. I don't do time code. I do all MIDI triggering. Um, I, uh, Snoop Dogg uses time code, but on the EDM stuff, I usually use MIDI triggering. Um, I use the audio input. Uh, I have lasers that I'm controlling. Sometimes I'm controlling video. Um, and so walking into these festivals where they have these weird IP addresses or have these weird like interactions, it's like, I don't understand why you did this this way. And they're like, well, this is just the way I did it. And it's like, but it's kind of messy because you know, they have a bunch of stuff on the network that is causing it to lag or having issues with it. So that's, that's something that I spend a lot of time on when I get to site. Uh, it's also something I try to make sure when I'm the festival LD that I have a great plan in place because I need to tell this guy that he has these nodes and I need to tell him where they're at if he wants to patch them individually. And so having them in some kind of organized order and having the consoles in an organized order makes sense. You know, a lot of times nodes, uh, ACN or uh, streaming ACN or Artnet nodes, I'll put it, you know, like a dot one to, you know, dot 100. And then my consoles, I'll start at dot 100 and go from there. Um, sometimes I leave some spacing just to make sense. But, you know, I get to festivals and they're like, oh, well, dot 30 is one console and dot 178 is another console. And the nodes are all at dot 23. And, you know, and then I have a laser computer and a bunch of other stuff that talks, talks Artnet. And it's just like, oh, well, now I'm dealing with so many network issues um, because of that. And then you got to start pinging things, trying to figure out who's yeah. talking to what. And... Yeah, or, yeah, or what's bad. You know, like this this unit isn't talking. Well, what note is that? They're like, well, it's a uh, you know seventy eight, um, but it's one. It's universe one through twelve. But then you have this node that's you know uh, three that is like you know you know fourteen through. 30 you know and so it's like, sloppy it's, yeah it's just messy and it's like that to me is like a huge pet peeve of mine like being a network guy having that stuff organized makes the it makes troubleshooting way easier because you know the troubleshooting is gonna have to happen it always there's always issues everywhere so having some kind of organization that you can very quickly troubleshoot and figure out what's going on with it is a is a huge thing Man, just sitting here talking with you for an hour makes me very excited to co- <laughs> to run across one of your festival designs and uh, or vice versa. If you ever at one of my festivals, I would be yeah. very excited to hang out. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I enjoy it. I have I have a lot of fun. I love meeting other LDs. Like that's my biggest thing. I mean, you just never know when you're going to meet the next guy that's going to give you the next gig. And so for me, making sure that um, you know I meet these guys and I talk to them and I have great relationships with them, you just never know. They may need somebody next week, and they're like, "Oh man, this guy really helped me out." You know we should call him up and see if he's available. And so that to me is, is a great thing. And you get to see other people's ideas and creativity. Um, and it helps you kind of develop your own um, from that. I don't know if I just put it together, but networking is, it means both things. It means system networking and people networking. Yeah. It's, uh, it sounds like you have a good idea that both of them are very necessary and both should be very well organized. Oh yeah. That's actually my favorite thing about LDI. I don't even go to LDI to see the lights. I go to like talk to people and interact with vendors and, and manufacturers and, you know, just the, the hangs are, are amazing because you can build relationships that way. Um, so well. I agree. I would much rather have, we gotten a chance to meet at LDI, but, uh, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out and chat with me. Yeah. Thanks, man. This has been awesome. I'm glad I could give some input.